Welcome to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Todd Bishop here in Seattle at the GeekWire Studios. I have on the line with me from Los Angeles, Andrew Edwards. I'm here on location at E3. Awesome. E3, for people who don't know, is the big video game convention. In fact, this podcast is perfectly timed because Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo have just wrapped up all of their big media events. The show is just starting, but we already have a real sense for what's going to be shown. Andrew, you're down there. What are the highlights for you so far? Man, so far, all three of the major companies, that's Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo, have already done their media briefings or their press announcements and all that. And there's some there's some cool stuff coming out here. So one of the big ones that people were kind of talking about after the event was Microsoft actually aside from showing off 50 games and 18 exclusive games to the Xbox, which has been a big problem for the Xbox. They don't really have a lot of exclusives. Um, During their keynote, they just kind of side mentioned that they're working on the next generation of Xbox. So there will be a new Xbox coming um, probably sometime in, let's just say, 2020. This was fascinating to me because I think they actually even use a plural word, right? They said consoles, like they're working on multiple X. What do you make of this? They did say that. And so that could go a number of ways. First of all, if you just think about it, what do they sell today? They have an Xbox One S and an Xbox One X. So are they just making a, you know, a a entry-level consumer version and then the souped up X version for the next gen? Or there was that rumor, I think it was back in 2016, that they were going to be releasing something similar to a Fire TV stick, but an Xbox stick for the TV. So it would be a cheaper way to play Xbox games. And that would probably, since you can't fit a disc in there or even really fit a lot of uh, storage space into something the size of a stick, that would be tied to a streaming service, which they also happened to mention that they were working on. So... You know, it's it can go either way. Are they just making a couple of Xboxes, one entry level, one you know more expensive version? Are they going to do a line of Xbox products that you know you can, depending on your price and your budget, are they going to do something mobile? They did announce some games that would Xbox games that would run on Android phones and and iOS devices. So I'm not really sure where they're going with it, but it was it was interesting. And again, they didn't even spend much time on it. They just kind of made a couple of statements and went on to the next thing. Yeah, this was interesting for me when coupled with the other thing you mentioned, the streaming service that they talked about. Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, said they're going to deliver, quote, a console quality gaming experience on any device. So presumably that would mean, obviously, PCs and Xbox, which they already do. But then also, I guess, phones and, as you're saying, maybe TV sticks or other TV set-top boxes? So, yeah, that could definitely be devices like you mentioned. Like, for example, let's say you have an Apple TV or a Roku and you just download the Xbox app and it opens up a streaming service right there. So you don't even need to buy or own a physical Xbox device. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting there is you start to think about smartphones. And this is one place where Microsoft, I think, could have done really well if they had had their own smartphone OS that really took off on the level of iOS and Android. But if they start to offer console quality games on smartphones and tablets, even from competing companies, that starts to get really interesting. It does. You know, it makes you wonder about the console wars going forward because it's always been about which company sold the most hardware, right? And if if hardware is becoming 
less and less of an issue and it's really more about the gaming experience, then exclusives really do start to matter because if you're just subscribing to a, a streaming service and not buying a console, why would you choose Microsoft's streaming service over PlayStation's streaming service, which they do have up and running already. It's called PS Now. The only reason you would choose one over the other is for the, the game library. And it's, it's not about the console features anymore. So when you look at this, you mentioned at the very beginning the big challenge that Microsoft has right now with the Xbox One and arguably the reason that the PlayStation 4 is so much farther ahead of Microsoft in console sales is the lack of exclusives for the Xbox right. One. What does this do to that? In other words, if they're able to stream to a bunch of different devices, maybe on your iPhone or your Android device, you're able to select from games from, I don't know, the the Play Store or from the App Store, in addition to your Xbox games. Like, How do you see all that shaking out? Well, Microsoft actually spent some time during their keynote announcing exactly what they're going to do about that. So Microsoft Studios has added five new game developers and they're not they're not brand new developers that are just kind of booting up they actually went out and bought well-known and well-liked game developers who will now be under the microsoft studios umbrella making games exclusively for the xbox which was it was big news because people thought you know they they announced one and then they said and we have another and we have another and they just kept going with it so by the end, they had five new game studios that are going to be making Xbox exclusives. And so that means the games that they make now, which people are excited about, will no longer be available on the PlayStation and will only be available on the Xbox. So I think they're finally smartening up and just getting started. Uh, one other thing you mentioned, though, which is interesting, it is the exclusives that kind of drive people to the PlayStation. But there was also, I don't know if you remember, when the Xbox One was launching, there was a rumor that it would have to be always online and it would have to check in with Microsoft every so often in order for you to continue to play your games. Do you recall this? Yeah. In fact, I don't even think that was a rumor. I think that was the plan. And then they totally reversed it. Do you remember that? I do remember that. So the issue was there was the rumor that came out and Microsoft wouldn't address the rumor directly. And I think it was because they had plans for how they wanted to announce it at a later date and when the rumor came out to them their pr department was like well it's not time for us to talk about this yet so we're just gonna no comment no comment and as they kept no commenting people started getting more and more antsy about this and turned away from the xbox and left a bad taste in their mouth but now today fast forward to today a lot of the games that are being announced are always online games one of the biggest game announcements here at e3 was fallout 76 which is the first time Fallout, which is a huge game, um, is going to be multiplayer and it's always online. There's a lot of these games now where things can happen in the game even while you're not playing. Things are happening in real time. Other players are affecting your world. So it's not like you turn it off, you turn it back on and some you know computer random generation thing happens and you know time has passed. It's more things are happening that other people are doing and it's affecting your game. And I think this is what Microsoft was going for, but they didn't get ahead of it when the rumors started coming out and they just kind of killed it. But now we're seeing they've kind of gone back to it and the fruits of their labor here. And basically what I'm saying is Microsoft was right back then and they should have stuck with it, but they should have addressed the rumors. 
So to go back to what you were saying, it looks like they've acquired four game studios, or they're planning to acquire them. Ninja Theory, Playground Games, Undead Labs, and Compulsion Games. Playground is the developer mm-hmm. behind Forza, Ninja, Hellblade, yes. Undead Labs, uh, State of Decay, and Compulsion, We Happy Few, which is supposed to launch later this year. So That's right. really trying to address that exclusive problem, and we're going to talk a little bit about what Sony announced later on in the show, but do you think Microsoft, with the acquisition of these game studios, plus what they announced at E3, are they catching up, or are they still pretty far behind Sony and Nintendo in terms of exclusives? Um, they're, they're, I think the answer is a little bit of both. Like They're far behind uh, because it's been you know a number of years since the Xbox One and PS4 launched. So they are far behind, but I think this really sets them up for the future. And, you know, my hope is that they're not stopping here. Like they, they're purchasing four studios and they created a fifth. Hopefully in their mind, they're not done. Hopefully this is just the start. This gives you a way to, you know, have exclusives on both sides. And for the gamer, though, what becomes more interesting now is you're going to have more exclusives on both sides. So if you want to play the best games you may end up needing to have either both consoles or subscribe to both streaming services or however that starts to play out in the future. Yeah, it's like the downside of the whole cable unbundling where all of a sudden you realize, oh yeah, I can get a la carte TV, but man, I've got to buy all of these different services if I want each of the shows that are their flagship shows. And it's the same thing in the games. Right, ends up costing the same. (laughs) It's costing the same as your cable package. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, we are on the line with Andrew Edwards from E3 in Los Angeles. It's Todd Bishop back here in Seattle at the GeekWire Studios. You're listening to Geared Up. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about Sony and Nintendo. But first, we actually have a surprising story to talk about that relates to everybody who travels through an airport. I know this is a, a big mm-hmm. big one for us, Andrew. Okay, that's coming up next on Geared Up. Welcome back to Geared Up. I'm Todd Bishop, and on the line from Los Angeles from the E3 Video Game Convention is Andrew Edwards. I'm here. I'm having a great time. All right, we've been talking about the big news from the video game convention where Andrew is in the thick of it down there in Los Angeles, and we're going to be talking more about Sony and Nintendo coming up. But first... It's time for the National Car Rental Story of the Week. Geared Up is brought to you by National Car Rental. Go national, go like a pro. You can find Andrew's show, Technically Speaking, on the nationalcar.com control center or youtube.com slash nationalcarrent. That's right. Technically Speaking is the show where I show you everything you need for business travel and personal travel as it pertains to the world of gadgets. So if you want to make your travel life easier or better or more fun, I show you all the tech that you need to take with you. The latest tech puts you in the driver's seat of your travel experience, and National Car Rentals Emerald Club will keep you there. Okay, on that topic, Andrew, this week's National Car Rental Story of the Week was a surprising one to me as somebody who travels a lot through SeaTac Airport in Seattle. Ookla, mm-hmm. Ookla, you know, speed test. You know these folks. That's right. Of course, everybody runs a speed test to see how fast their internet is. Make sure you're getting what you're paying for. Absolutely. Did you know they're based in Seattle, by the way, Ookla? I did not know that. No, I did not. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is like hometown bias or what, but they did a ranking. I, I will give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure it's very much pure data and analysis here, but they did a ranking of the top airports for Wi-Fi connectivity and download speeds. And SeaTac Airport in Seattle topped the list. 
This stunned me. I, I would not have guessed Interesting. this. Why did it stun you? Is it because when you go to SeaTac, you think the internet there is super slow? Yeah, I guess I wouldn't have pegged SeaTac as the fastest in the country. And we should say their download speeds that they recorded through Ookla was 103 megabits per second, which what? is <laughs> which is pretty. <laughs> I mean, that's like better than a lot of home connections. It's better than a lot of work connections. Were they testing at midnight when no one else was in the airport? <laughs> Possibly, possibly. But this surprised me in part, too, because, you know, for many years, SeaTac was way behind other airports. If I remember correctly, there was a time when there was no free Wi-Fi at SeaTac, even though there was free Wi-Fi. Oh, man. Do you remember this era? It might have been like yes, eight, I ten, do. 10 years ago. But yeah, it was difficult to get online there. <laughs> I do recall that. But so that's interesting, though. So I like I wonder what the perfect condition is to get the best Wi-Fi speeds at SeaTac or at any airport, because I assume all these airports have different gates and stuff. So if, or if you're in gate A or if you're in gate D, is that affected or is it is it supposed to be even throughout if you're in the food court area versus in the security area? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what is it that you have to do to get this speed? Because I know I personally never sat down at SeaTac and thought, oh, wow, I'm, I can stream Netflix in here. Like, it's usually not that great. Yeah, so here's the thing, Andrew. Not only is the download speed the top, but according to this ranking, you'll never guess what the upload speed is. I mean, it's to the point where you should probably be doing your video editing and uploading from the airport. <laughs> it's 155 megabits per second. This what? doesn't make any sense. How is this happening? How is this happening? I don't understand. So they say that they did these tests over a long period of time, January through April of 2018. So presumably they okay. did it throughout the airport. They weren't just like sitting there with the Ethernet right. cable connected to something. I mean, it's real world conditions. <laughs> so here's the rest of the list. And some of these surprised me as well, just based on some of my experience. Denver was number two with 78 megs down. Uh, Calgary was number three, followed by Atlanta, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Vancouver. So Vancouver, BC, uh, Logan International, Orlando. So this is U.S. and Canada. LaGuardia was on there, Chicago, Newark. Uh, JFK was on there as well. You know, it gets down into the 21 megs down, though, So with JFK, for example. So you're talking, you know, still pretty fast, but at times you could probably get better connectivity through a hotspot on your cell phone with some of these. Yeah, and I've always felt like I felt like I don't know when the shift happened. Maybe maybe two or three years ago, but I felt like there was always the idea of if I'm out and about and I want to get faster internet, I need to find a Wi-Fi hotspot. And somewhere around two to three years ago, it became I'm out and about. Oops, my phone accidentally connected to the Starbucks Wi-Fi or something. I need to turn that off because it's slowing me down. Like cellular connectivity has gotten so much better than the public Wi-Fi that's been around. This is kind of shocking to see, you know, these kinds of speeds. Um, again, I'd like to see a more, you know, open up a little more about how, where you got these speeds. What, what were you testing on? Were you using phones? Were you using laptops? It would be interesting to see all that information and data. But I mean, this is good to know because the thing is, you know, the more people that are in the airport, the more the more the bandwidth is being used. And so airports, one of the things people do there to pass time is either work or, you know, stream YouTube, stream Netflix, etc. So I'd like to see this keep improving. 
And I think we do need to try to replicate this test, too. I think as you and I go through the airport and as our <laughs> colleagues do, we should ask them to run the speed test and see if this is actually true. The other thing is... That's a good idea. It'd be interesting to do a follow-up to see how SeaTac did this and whether it's now an arms race to, for the other airports. I mean, are you right. going to... Would you ever book your flight differently, like, say, maybe go to JFK instead of Newark if you were flying into the New York area? Because they had stronger Wi-Fi? Maybe if you had a layover and you had to upload a bunch of video, but maybe you and I are edge cases in that way. Yeah, I mean, we're living in the days now of, you know, unlimited data and super fast data. It's almost, I'm not going to, you know, change my travel plans for an airport's Wi-Fi. I would assume there are some people out there who use the airport lounges while they travel and they get to the airport super early so they can get work done and take conference calls and all that. Um, for those people, that would probably be more of a draw. If you're going to be spending four or five hours in the airport, you're probably going to be looking and considering more uh, where you'd have better connectivity. I try to get to the airport as late as I can, but not miss the flight. <laughs> you and our colleague, Kevin Lasota are exactly the same in that way. I think Kevin <laughs> has caused me more stress over the years going on. <laughs> trips with him where it's like, especially CES, he wants to show up and be there at the gate like 20 minutes before the flight takes off. I think that's his goal. So, I mean, well, before it takes off, wow, no, I, I want to at least be at the gate before they open for boarding, which is 40 minutes before. So I try to be there at the gate about 45 minutes before takeoff. All right. So that is the ranking of airport Wi-Fi download speed. We will link to the full list from the show notes on this podcast at geekwire.com slash geared up. Andrew, you are down there at E3. Sony's mm -hmm. briefing sounded like a total bizarre show where they basically only said one introductory comment and then shuttled everybody from building to building inside the studio and showed them trailers for like five hours. I, I'm, that's an exaggeration, but tell us about Sony. Definitely two, definitely about two hours of trailers. It was interesting. So Sony's, uh, one of their big games is called The Last of Us. And they were announcing the sequel to that game, The Last of Us Part Two. And everyone, I don't know if everyone knew this, but when they started the presentation, they were in this room with like um, elegantly hung lights above them and everything it was almost like a party atmosphere, like a nighttime party atmosphere. And they showed the trailer for The Last of Us. And typically at these E3 events, they go from one trailer to the next to the next, unless someone's going to come out in between trailers to kind of explain more about the game or show some gameplay before going on to the next trailer. With this, they showed about 12 minutes of The Last of Us. Um, and then they went to like a commentary team who talked just about, whoa, what'd you think of that? Like they were just kind of, kind of like what we're doing now. And they spent about 15 minutes getting people out from that, you know, elaborate room into another room. And these conferences have, you know, 500 to a thousand people attending them. So they had to shift hundreds of people from one room to the next in order to start the next trailers. It was it was pretty bizarre. Um, I guess it was their way of you know really making the Last of Us two trailer stand out. The other thing about that trailer, which I don't know that I've ever seen in a video game, I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Is it ends? The trailer ends with the main character kissing someone, and the main character is a girl, and she's kissing another girl. 
And so it's like people are, you know, wow, we're finally seeing, you know, more inclusive characters in games rather than just the typical you play as a man and either you're shooting everything and killing everybody or you're a man like Mario trying to save a woman in distress who can't save herself. Now you have more open-minded characters. Yeah, that was, I think, a nice surprise for a lot of people. And also, I think the other surprise was that the scene you described where it was a party that they were in, in the physical building, I think it was meant to replicate the actual scene where yes. that kiss took place in the trailer. Correct. That's right. So they were they were in basically the world of the last of us but they were only in that i mean they put this they put this physical world together and you know it it couldn't have been easy to do just so people could stand in there or sit in there for about 12 to 15 minutes and then get up and leave and you know not be in that room anymore which to me i thought that room looked pretty cool that's where i would have want to stay the whole time so this is in such contrast to the way sony usually does these things i've been to that's a right. lot of the sony e3 briefings and it can sound at times like an investor presentation or a developer <laughs> conference presentation where they talk about all of the real nitty-gritty technical details behind yeah. a console or some other device that they're coming out with. This was clearly much more like a movie studio would do to interest people yes. in the, the games and the content that are coming up. That's true. And I think, you know, there's so there's not much for them to talk about right now in terms of nitty-gritty specs mostly because, number one, they don't have any new consoles. And number two, even with the PS4 Pro, the Xbox One X is, tech is technically a superior console. So they're not going to focus on that right now. They their, their whole thing was focusing on games and especially the exclusives that they have. So were there any particular exclusives that stood out to you? I, I know that they talked about the remake of the classic PlayStation game Resident Evil 2. Um, there were a few right. others that they talked about. What what stood out to you? One thing that they showed that I didn't realize until, until they started talking about it is the new Spider-Man game. Um, interesting because Sony has, you know, Sony as a whole, Sony Pictures, uh, um, has the Spider-Man license. So therefore, Sony PlayStation gets to have the Spider-Man game as an exclusive. And I never thought about that before because Sony is a, you know, Sony is an entertainment brand whereas microsoft they're not an entertainment company they're a tech company um nintendo is a gaming company so sony has movie licenses and sony pictures and so anything sony pictures has sony can use on the gaming front and make that an exclusive piece of content so i thought that was very interesting they actually closed with uh that game that spider-man game so they're expecting that to be huge um again the last of us was a big one a lot of people have been waiting for that and there's also an interesting game. If you watch The Walking Dead, one of the main actors in there, he's in a game, the actor, it's not a Walking Dead game, called Death Stranding. And he's the main character. And it's very interesting. I don't know what they did, but it's basically like you're, you're playing as the human guy. Like the actor's face and hair and body and everything is so realistic. And so he's the main character, and it's it's just striking how the graphics on this game and and the his voice he does all the voice acting as well. It's like taking this popular actor and dropping him into a game and using him uh, to play through this, which uh, I thought was pretty incredible. That's great. Well, we've been talking about Sony's press conference and Nintendo's press conference was interesting. They've been doing more of a live stream to unveil their video games every year. And we're going to talk about that coming up next on Geared Up.
All right, welcome back. You're listening to Geared Up. I'm Todd Bishop, and on the line from Los Angeles at the big E3 video game convention is Andrew Edwards. What's happening? Andrew, are you surviving down there? How many days have you been there, and how many more do you have to go? Let's see. Today's Tuesday. I've been here for three days. Um, It was crazy, though, because I got here the morning of the Microsoft press event, and that press event, you had to get in line at about 9 a.m., so my flight landed at 7, took off at 4, um, left my house at 2.30. So technically, I did not sleep that entire night. So it was a cra- It was a tough day after not sleeping all night, standing in line for about two and a half hours to get into Microsoft. Was, it, was, it was nuts. I have uh, another two days here, and then I'm back home. So we've been talking about Microsoft and Sony. Microsoft, they announced a bunch of new games, including Halo Infinite, Forza Horizon 4, Gears 5, Sony talked about The Last of Us 2, the new Spider-Man game. What about Nintendo? What was the big takeaway, the big headline game from Nintendo? Absolutely, absolutely without a doubt, the, the headline title was Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And the main idea there is they went back to the first Super Smash Bros. game, and they took every character that's ever appeared in any Smash Brothers game since then and put them all into one game, which is Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. So for people who haven't played a lot of Super Smash Brothers, it's it's kind of like really popular in college dorm rooms because it brings together all of the classic Nintendo characters. But for this one, if I understand correctly, they're also adding some new characters to the mix? Just a few new characters, but basically... They have over 60 fighters, um, and it does span pretty much every Nintendo property. But Nintendo's also gone outside of Nintendo in the past to put other characters in there. For example, Sonic the Hedgehog, which back in the day, in the 90s, Mario and Sonic were at complete opposite ends. One was on Sega, one was on Nintendo, and they were battling. So now Sonic, um, he's been in a couple of Super Smash Bros. games, so he's back. There's also Pac-Man, who is in the game, uh, obviously not a Nintendo character. Ryu from Street Fighter is in there. So they've basically gone and tried to find characters that would kind of fit into the Super Smash Bros. world um, and put them in there. They've got the Inklings from Splatoon now. So basically, it's the biggest Smash Brothers game uh, ever as far as the, the roster goes. So this will be coming out later this year, December 7th, for the Nintendo right. Switch. Fortnite was the other big news, right? Yeah, this, so Fortnite was big because people expected Fortnite to come to the Switch. Um, but what was, the, what was big was that they announced Fortnite coming to the Switch and then said, and you can play it right now for free. So as soon as they announced it, it was available for download at no cost on the Nintendo Switch. And that part was a big surprise. So this is, I think, where Nintendo is missing something by not having a live in-person briefing, by doing sort of a sanitized webcast instead. Can you imagine the roar right. from the crowd when Reggie Fiamme, the Nintendo of America president, would have said, and it's available today. <laughs> Can't right. you just imagine exactly. that? Exactly. I don't know. Instead, it comes off lackluster because they're just like pretty- they're presenting it in a very monotone way, and it's usually through a translator as well. So it's very monotone, um, and they just and you can download it later today. Like, oh, okay. I mean, that's cool, but okay. Um, one other cool thing that they announced is Super Mario Party. So 
the games in the past have been Mario Party and then Mario Party 2, 3, 4, 5, etc. Super Mario Party for the Nintendo Switch is interesting because you take your Switch and it's multiplayer. So if multiple people have a Switch, you can put the screens. So you take the Joy-Cons out and you can lay the tablets flat on a table, almost like dominoes, and it can build maps and and play spaces based on the configuration of the consoles next to each other so you're basically build. you can build a maze for example just by putting a bunch of different switches next to each other um and it knows where the screens are in relation to each other i'm not sure how they're doing that but it's definitely a new take on the mario party game and it looks very cool so Big picture, Andrew, and I realize you've still got to walk the show floor and and all that stuff. You've only seen the presentations right now. Mm -hmm. Who's ahead after this E3? Sony, Microsoft, or Nintendo among the big three console makers? Uh, On a whole, I have to say um, Microsoft, I think, impressed people the most. They had 18 exclusives that they showed. They showed 50 games in total. They're the only one that mentioned, hey, we're working on our next. I mean, obviously, they're all work. They're always working on the next generation consoles in the background all the time. But they're the first ones to, to announce, "Hey, we have something new coming that we're working on." Um, they have the game streaming service that they said they're working on. They have games coming to mobile phones. They have their new studios that they purchased, and they have you know they have Halo coming. They have Gears of War coming. They put out probably one of the best uh, media briefings out of them all for the past few years. It was it really was uh, top-notch. As far as the games, though, I don't know that there was any game with more excitement than Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, and that, again, is where I think Nintendo is missing out without the live crowd. And, and yeah. i got to say, in terms of creativity, it sounds like Sony really just completely broke the mold for an E3 presentation this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know if I would have wanted to have been in there (laughs) being shifted around hundreds of people with those crowds but it definitely was different and they also did show off a lot of vr titles as well uh which none of the other two you know microsoft and nintendo don't have so that's also another thing that kind of sets sony apart in a way but it's an expensive accessory to add on to your playstation and when not everyone has the hardware similar to the connect in the past when not everyone has the hardware, not a lot of uh, game developers are going to support it. You know, that was something that I was kind of thinking of as a potential sleeper hit for Microsoft. If they could have surprised people by saying, and we're also bringing games to HoloLens and coming out with a, like a consumer version of that that would sell right. for 400 bucks. I think that would have been a real showstopper if Microsoft could have done that. But the problem with Microsoft for now, at least, is for gamers, they're targeting that augmented reality headset much more to business customers and and those kinds of things which is microsoft's traditional business but still i think it would be cool having played some of the original hololens demos including Mm -hmm. a really amazing minecraft like demo that they showed when they first unveiled that headset gosh that games on hololens would be amazing but you're right for now sony is really there and i think the real question is are you going to see oculus and uh, all the others, you know, catch up with their new standalone headsets. That's that sounds like a whole other show, right? Exactly, exactly. I agree. All right, so we're gonna have to talk about that next time, Andrew. It's great. This has been awesome to get the on the scene report from E3. Good luck down there. Thank you so much. I'm gonna need it. It's gonna be a lot of walking. 
Awesome. Good. Well, make sure you got your Fitbit. Oh, no, no, your Apple Watch. Make sure your <laughs> Apple, right, Watch Apple Watch is, is tracking things. All right. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. I'm Andrew Edwards. Thank you for listening to Geared Up. If you're not already, you should subscribe to Andrew's YouTube channel to see our live behind-the-scenes videos. You can do that at youtube.com slash gear live. And of course, you can subscribe to Geared Up on your favorite podcast app. Just search Geared Up. That's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a rating and a review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a GeekWire podcast. You can see more from us at geekwire.com. Claire McGrain produces the show. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.